can see the, the show at uh, Turner Contemporary. I had been to Alabama and I was doing my own research. And one of the things that became incredibly apparent about the situation was that it centered on history, that this was a very powerful period during the 1960s when change happened. And so I'm just quickly going to whip through the show a little bit to show you the context in which Dorothy's work is being shown. It has several rooms. First is called Roots and the Abstract Truth. There are many African-American artists from the South included in the show, some of whom have never shown, some of whom have shown extensively. Um, a lot of the women really haven't shown before, so that's kind of a very interesting balance to try to reach. We've tried to do something uh, ecological. We've tried to research yards. Um, we've looked at the way art was contextualized, and I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about is if we just whip through them, that's fine. Um, we've thought a lot about music and about the part of protest in the movement. We've looked at the G-Spend quilts, which are a major part of that uh, time and still continuing today and world famous. And uh, the backbone of the show is the civil rights photography. That is the center part of the show and the thing that holds it all together. And this is Doris's exhibit. Um, and if we just look at the next slide, just for, yeah. So on one side of the wall is uh, a photo called Sheila Prey Bright, Angela Davis, and Doris. So all women, all people who uh, focus very much on people's lives. And on the other side of the room are some sort of action photographs. Let's stop on that, that one. Um, now, when I first uh, knew about Doris, the, the curator at the, the High Museum said to me, well, this is Doris. And uh, I believe you're the one furthest on the right. Um, so Let's just start with that. Do you remember that photo being taken? Yes. Yeah? Jamie Lyons from um, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which mm -hmm. is a civil rights group called SNCC for short, that I was a part of, and that uh, members of uh, SNCC actually recruited me from the North. I was from New York, and they uh, asked me to go to work in Mississippi to work in an adult uh, developing adult literacy materials that would be used to um, enable uh, members of the black community to be able to uh, register to vote. So I was asked um, to, to come there uh, as an, I was an elementary teacher at the time. Um, I had said that I really wouldn't be able to to go to Mississippi at the time because I was doing other things. And uh, it was in the springtime. It seemed that uh, the news, the TV, had uh, pictures of the uh, protests by young black uh, men and women. And the uh, news was reporting that the dogs, uh, uh, German Shepherd dogs, were being used to attack the protesters or the uh, students, uh, young people who were demonstrating. Uh, there were billy clubs and fire hoses who were used against people just seeing about registering to vote and to uh, desegregate the restaurants and the stores, which they could spend their money, but they couldn't sit down, they couldn't try on clothes, etc. So the police were very brutal. And um, when this young man asked me again, would I go to Mississippi and work in an adult education uh, literacy project? I said, well, that was the least I could do. And so I did go there for one year and stayed for nine. Um, 
and um, this specific photograph is before the funeral for the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, which I'm sure all of you know about that event. Do you remember that event specifically, how, how, it, how you were there, how you felt about being there, and were your colleagues all there at the same time? Well, I was in Mississippi at the time. Yeah, but this uh, is Birmingham, right? Yes, but yeah. the call to SNCC workers <coughs> in, that were working in different parts of the South to go to the funeral. And so I went with other, these other uh, students, SNCC, SNCC students that were working in Mississippi. Mm. So we all went to support and to, you know, show our solidarity um, against the um, uh, such a terrible thing that had happened where four girls, uh, little girls, were killed uh, in the church bombing. And how old were you in this photograph? Um, I was about 23. Yeah, so very young. Okay, so mm -hmm. let's go back further. So um, you were brought up in New York. Could you describe your father, and I've, I've read and I've heard from you, that your father taught you about photography? Could you, could you describe the situation a little bit? Well, my father um, was um, a graduate of, of uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he was an engineer, but he faced discrimination quite a bit in terms of getting a job. But um, he always had the artistic side. He was a cabinet maker, he was a builder, and he was a photographer. And my father would um, had a great camera, and he would take pictures at all of our social and family events. And at the next family event, he would get the slide projected out the screen and show us the pictures, and we talked about the family, um, the family issues, and that kind of thing. So those were slides that he was shooting, and yeah. then with a projector to show the slides. He showed he, he was shooting regular film. Yeah. And he turned them into slides. Okay. So he, he gave my sister and I, when we were in elementary school, he gave us Brown and Cameron. Yeah. And um, that the fact that he was uh, taking pictures all the time and mm. saw the importance of having them shown at other family gatherings, yeah. uh, that just sort of passed on to me uh, one aspect of, of uh, the importance of having um, family photographs. But I took that one step further because when I was in elementary school, fourth, fifth grade, I realized that we were not being represented in any books, in, in movies, in any visual documents. Mm -hmm. uh, the school, I lived in the Bronx, New York. The school that I attended, elementary school, was in the predominantly Italian neighborhood. Um, it was, it was, had a lot of representation from different groups, but primarily we did not have um, representation in um, in our books. However, my parents, my grandparents, had a rich her heritage on both sides, at which I learned about from all history, from the history of my grandparents and my great-grandparents. And so we kept records, and I knew that I saw, I knew about that, but um, I didn't see us. In, the, in, in books. So in the pictures that your father showed when he projected them, they were um, relationships between people that were being shown, right? And That's right. So, so the warmth or the 
the brotherliness or the grandparent with the grandchild, those were the kinds of pictures that you were actually looking at. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing that was so amazing when I saw Doris's pictures at the high were that they were completely different to the other pictures in your, that were there, which were quite sort of um, distanced, and your pictures are never distant almost. They're very close to people, right? Mm -hmm. so, so when you started pic taking pictures, what did you take pictures of? Your pictures. Well, the pictures that I took when I went, I mean, I would take pictures of my friends and all that when I was in junior high and high school and college, also events and occasionally uh, community activities. However, when I went to Mississippi, I started really documenting uh, what was happening there, the people, the places, um, what the civil rights groups were doing, what the community was doing uh, in terms of trying to change the status quo. Yeah. And, uh, and were you continuously taking pictures from the time you were a child through to when you went to Mississippi? Um, not really, because I was doing other things in the arts. Yeah. Um, I was writing, I belonged to a group called the Holland Writers Group when I was in high school. I was sort of always doing things with older people, yeah. as well as with my, my peers. Um, in the home, I was usually the youngest person in a lot of the arts activities that I was involved in. Um, and did you develop your negatives and print them yourself, or you gave them to a shop, or how did you do it? Well, when I was just taking them before I went to Mississippi, I just gave them to a, you know, a store. A store, yeah. yeah. But uh, when I went to Mississippi, and um, as I said, I was there for literacy projects from 63, 64. However, in 66, 67, that's when I started to become affiliated with a group called Southern Media. And this, uh, with two guys from the North, white guys, came to uh, Mississippi to make some documentary photographs of some of the activities that were occurring. And they wanted to get young people involved to continue on uh, taking these photographs and documenting what was happening in Mississippi when they would leave. And I, they asked me to join because they knew, they knew that I was involved in the arts and that I was really, um, it was really important to me to see documentation. I, anything that was happening, it was written, I would get copies of it. I'm sort of like a historian, archivist, but in addition, I was also a painter. So in that first year of the literacy project, we were based on a college campus, a small black college campus. And there was one art teacher, and he had a one room that was like the art gallery or the art studio. And he would open the art studio for anyone who wanted to, to uh, paint or draw. Uh, he was trying to really develop an art department. And I would go there, and I was around with a few other persons that were painting. And so I have a book here that I've been working on that shows some of the paintings that I have. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the photography didn't come until 1967. Okay. And when you, uh, okay, so you arrived in Mississippi, um, you started to work on projects. Was it, was it, um, was it obvious what you needed to do with the photography? What, was it obvious what you should photograph? Or were you searching for things? Or how, how, how did it work for you? 
Well, I mean, it wasn't me just as an individual. Mm -hmm. I was a part of a, a team. Mm -hmm. uh, but the members of the team were, were changing. Mm -hmm. There were a few people who were still, like, who would work for a year or two. Uh, but it, uh, it was really, I was one of the constant persons because mm -hmm. many of the persons that would come as photographers that would come to where we were uh, were from the north and they didn't stay. So, um, and, and could you, um, because I believe you were with the Freedom Riders before that, right? But well, I wasn't with the Freedom Riders that uh, everyone reads about mm. when, when you see the burning bark and, and that kind of thing. I, but I did, as a college student in Hunter College mm. in New York, I was an activist and a group of us did go to uh, North Carolina where students were beginning to integrate the facilities, they were getting arrested, but there were conversations going on. And um, my little group, which was made of the made up of uh, representatives from the Student Government Association, the Student Christian Association, and the NAACP, we took about maybe ten persons that went. And we were in an integrated group, which at that time uh, in the South, black people were not supposed to ride in the bus um, up front or in the middle, supposed to ride in the back. But we went as an integrated group and we sat where we wanted to sit and we were not challenged. So that was an early city ride. Mm -hmm. But um, the ones that went into the deeper South, in Alabama and Mississippi um, at a, a later time, were um, the bus was stopped and firebombed, and that's what people think of as the freedom riders. So um, you arrived in the South and you began to work on projects, and um, you began to take photographs. And were you taking photographs every day, or how did it work your life with the photographs and with the work that you were doing? Or you ha you carried a camera with you all the time? Um, I. I had a lot of skills and I was asked to do a number of things. At the time when uh, I was asked to or invited to be a part of Southern Media, uh, Southern Media was not a full-time job. I was working with the development of cooperatives, handicapped cooperatives, because many of the black people that were involved in civil rights activities were sharecroppers, farmers working on the plantations of whites who were supporting the system of segregation. And they, they considered anything that you did to improve your life, if it was a part of the big picture of the civil rights movement, uh, this was uh, dangerous. And they would fire the, uh, or throw the people off of the land. They could no longer be sharecroppers. So some of us were looking for alternatives uh, for employment, for work, for an income. And we started cooperatives, particularly uh, handcraft cooperatives and uh, farming cooperatives. The people would come together and then would organize and start a business. And so that's what I was working with um, when I met the two guys uh, who started Southern Media. And as they were, they had been there and they realized it was going to be very hard to really continue what 
they wanted to do or to see it into fruition. Mm -hmm. So they asked uh, those of us at the co-op um, called Liberty House and the Poor People's Corporation if they could become a part of mm -hmm. our operation and that we would uh, administer it as when they were ready to leave. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I joined them. So we would do, you know, we would go and take photographs depending on what kind of events were going on. Our purpose was largely to make our services available to the community. It wasn't that we were just there being a photographer. We sort of were, but it was within the practical context of providing photographic services to make film strips for the community. So you were also filming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you knew how to use a film camera. Well, I learned. Yeah. They taught me. I didn't yeah. know how to, yeah. to do that. Um, we we um, made photographs for persons who, uh, who wanted to run for office because part of the political aspect of the civil rights struggle was not only registering to vote and voting, but becoming an active part of the political process, mm -hmm. running for office. And so many... Um, Black people were uh, became congressmen eventually, uh, mayors. We have a lot of firsts because of the civil rights movement. Were you aware when you were working? Presumably, you were working hard. Where were you staying at this point? So you were in Mississippi, in a village somewhere, or in a in a small community. Where did you stay? Well, it varied. When I first came to Mississippi, um, I was put up with a family, and that was for about two, three months, mm -hmm. until I was able to uh, organize certain things to get the literacy project going. We had to recruit a few other people to work with us. Um, and then after that, I was able to um, find a, we're based at a college, Tougaloo College in Tougaloo, Mississippi, which is outside of Jackson, Mississippi. And um, we didn't have any uh, car at that time, and um, so there was a, a house that was right across the street from the college. It was abandoned. Well, not exactly abandoned, but it wasn't being used, and it was um, just um, run down. So I asked the, uh, I found out who the owner was, and asked him if he would repair it and make it available for these two other young ladies and I who were going to be teachers in the literacy project. And he said no, he, he didn't really, wasn't uh, interested in doing that at the time. But I kept going back to him and asking him to do it. And he finally relented. I told him that if he had any relatives uh, who needed literacy skills, we would start to work with them. And he finally relented. And that house is still there today. It was fixed up, it was a beautiful house, two bedrooms, and actually, um, this is a book that I have of my poetry and my photography, and that's the house that, if you were to go to Tugu College, uh, you'd see the house. It was, I mean, it really looked terrible, but he fixed it, and then I persuaded him to teach me how to drive his pickup truck. <laughs> so I believe you were often the only women with the people. Yes. Yeah. So how with, did that work? With that. Well, with some of the projects, I was the only woman. Um, I had a lot of ideas. I, had, I was a hard worker. And um, 
when I was interested in doing something, I it didn't matter, men or women. Um, it, and they didn't care because they wanted someone who really would work and had the interest and could could do what they wanted. So, and and did you? So you must have come across many of the, the very well-known civil rights leaders, like Andrew Young or Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Or how was your? How was it integrated? Did people people met one another? Martin Luther King to, came to where you were. You went to Birmingham. People moved about. How how did the whole thing sort of work? You were working on your project, and then every now and again you would get some inspiration from somewhere outside. You listened to the radio. How did you all communicate? in the era before the mobile phone? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a lot of mass meetings where people were organizing and recruiting people to work in the movement, so you would meet people there. Um, we, there was an office, there were offices or in different towns, and if there was something that was going on that needed more people, you might be called to come there asked to come to do something for a short period of time. Yeah. And so uh, when I met Martin Luther King and Andrew Young and others, uh, that was the first time I went to the South in Albany, Georgia in 1962, the summer. I really only went there to see, um, I was on my way to somewhere else, and I went to see a friend of mine who I was told <coughs> was sick and was in jail that she had been arrested. She was working with Smith. Um, so when I got there, um, I, they, uh, I had to go to um, the SNCC office and wait until someone was driving to Albany, Georgia. Uh, but at any rate, they put me up with a family. And then the next day, they said, OK, we need you to help us do some canvassing. We're trying to recruit people to register the boat. So before I knew it, they were taking me to the office. I said, well, you know, I wanted to see my friend, um, find out how she was doing. But uh, I got roped into uh, doing a lot of things. Um, I could type. We need somebody to answer the phone. We need somebody to type. And um, I ended up staying the entire summer. <laughs> but um, that's when I uh, got introduced to a number of SNPs workers and to uh, Martin Luther King and Andrew Young and so on. So then after that, uh, that was the next year that I went to work in Mississippi when I was recruited to work in Mississippi. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about, can we go back a few slides? There's an image of Elsie Dorsey and I just wondered if you could tell us the story behind that picture. One more, this one. Uh, well, this is one of the vegetable co-ops um, members of the vegetable co-op. So there were there were some black independent farmers. Not all of the um, farmers were working on uh, a segregationist plantation. And so um, the civil rights movement, some of the people from the civil rights movement, did organize, help organize the, the vegetable co-op. And so they were, um, we would bring the farmers would bring their vegetables to a central warehouse. They would uh, have uh, collective mach uh, machinery to uh, process their products and to also process the marketing of the products. 
and just tell you how uh, much the civil rights movement influenced the uh, well-being and welfare of many people. Um, Elsie Dorsey, well, when I first met her in around 1965, she was... Um, she had been a sharecropper, and then she left that because she was starting to get involved with the civil rights movement. Uh, she had about six children. She lived in a very small house, what we call a shotgun house. You can look through, and you, you don't see. Uh, there aren't very many rooms. You can see from the front of the house to the back of the house if you look straight ahead. Um, but she ended up going and finishing her high school education. She eventually went to college. She worked with the Delta Health Clinic and one of the uh, became one of the founders of the uh, vegetable co-op. She ended up um, getting her college degree and uh, coming back and becoming the head of the Tufts Delta Health Clinic. This was over a period of like 20, 30 years. So we're so. talking very long periods of time in people's development. Okay. So when you took do you remember taking this photograph? Yeah. yeah. And because what's so interesting is that the photographs are very, for me, deeply humane and very much about personal relationships. Did you think about that when you took them, or were you, how were you, th you were thinking you needed to record this person now, or were you, how did you think about it? Well, my whole, you know, as I said in my upbringing, was always in the back of my mind to record and document what visual and you know through not just visual but in many artistic ways whether it's photographs poetry through the theater that we started we started a, a repertory theater group in which we had encouraged uh, people who were interested in the black struggle to uh, write their own plays and to be a part of the whole theater group. Um, whites and blacks were involved in it. Uh, people from the north, from the south. Um, so it, the art for me was very important, but also the written word to document. Um, so in a week, you might have been working on theater and be working on the literary put. You were working on several things at once during one week? Yes, during that first especially during that first year, the Free, free Children's Theater and the Literacy Project and Voter Registration, those were the key things initially that I worked on. Then later on, you know, as time progressed, there were new projects. For example, the first Head Start program for children, pre preschool children, occurred in Mississippi. And um, that was in summer of 65. There was a big grant from the government that was uh, gotten to establish preschool centers. Mm -hmm. But part of the establishment meant getting community people to come together, learn new skills. Um, so I worked with that. They recruited me to work as, because I had been a teacher, mm -hmm. elementary school teacher. Mm -hmm. and, and did people want to take part in theater? Oh, yes. They were yeah. very excited. Our Free Southern Theater, Repertory Theater, that uh, took plays around. We, we uh, produced the plays in, on uh, farmland, out on the land, on um, porches of people's homes and churches, in Head Start centers, community centers, etc. Um, 
people were very involved in it, and we added another component component to the play, um, discussions after the play, roundtable, and storytelling, getting people involved in storytelling themselves. Yeah. So, for instance, Elsie Dorsey, did you know her well? Yes, yeah. I did. So she was a friend, or she was a colleague, or she was an acquaintance? I, well, I worked with her to help start a co-op, a handcraft co-op in mm -hmm. her area, mm -hmm. and then she would see me from time to time over a period of time, mm -hmm. and after we would have uh, reunions. So mm -hmm. I would consider her a friend. And, and how do you still have all these negatives in what was quite a turbulent time? You kept all the negatives? How did that work? Remember, I always wanted to, uh, the importance of documentation. Mm. And I carried my things around with me when I went off to grad school. I packed them up, I took them with me. Mm. I sent some of my archives and documents. Doris is mother. very well organized, by the way. <laughs> I have <laughs> thousands of photographs. Yeah. You were asking about, well, how did you develop them? Mm -hmm. We had a little um, office where mm -hmm. we um, developed. I learned how to develop pictures, and mm -hmm. I learned about sound equipment, um, filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And printing? Did you print these at the time? Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and then where did they go at that time? Were they reproduced in different places, or what were they used for? Well, some of them were used for inclusion in documentary films or yeah. film strips. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know how long the film project or the Southern media was going to you know, last. Mm. So I was one of the ones who stayed the longest with yeah. it. And remember, people were doing other things. Yeah. And so myself, it was always important for me to keep and yeah. perhaps you know, use them for exhibits, etc., mm. produce books and mm. so on. And did you look into the future, or you were living very much in the present? Oh, I was always looking into the present and the future. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And and did you see change during that time? Say say when you began working on the literacy programs, um, how did things develop over two or three years? The literacy project was not as long-standing as uh, we originally thought it would be because that next year the voting rights um, bill was passed and there were going to be other avenues for um, the literacy, development of literacy. Now, adult literacy class, uh, as a part of the grant that was uh, gotten to extend the Tufts Delta Health Clinic, and the other grant for the Head Start program. There were other programs that were being established with much larger kinds of funding mm. and uh, enabled more people to be involved. Mm. So those took precedence over the literacy project. Mm. And did you see the work of other photographers like Danny Lyon, for instance, at that time? Or were you working very much on your own? Oh, I wasn't really working on my own. No. So, no. There were, so there were many other images around you at that time made by other people. I wouldn't say so many saw. others. Yeah. Um, French people were in working in different yeah. states, yeah. and so they would move around. Yeah. So some photographers, they were, they were a group of SNCC photographers yeah. who would go to various SNCC activities, particularly 
from like 63 to or 60, maybe 62 to 65. My involvement with Southern Media came at a little later period. So there weren't so many other photographers still uh, doing that. Things moved on. Yeah. yeah. So, because one of the things that's amazing for me, looking, I mean, I've never had such a long period of time where I could look at images in one place as the ones exhibited at Turner Contemporary. But the ones, for instance, of the march from Selma to Montgomery, they're very distanced. A lot of them are photographers riding along the middle of the road, looking out at the audience or, or looking at something happening or that your images could not be made without deep involvement with the communities that you were working with, right? Yeah, very so I mean, I was working with, in some more than other mm -hmm. ways, but I was affiliated with these organizations in mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. It might have been short term or long term. Mm -hmm. So um, this right here, uh, Buford Jasper County uh, Senior Citizen Quilters, this was something that I did at a later period mm. when I was in graduate school. Mm. And I was interested in quilts and the different designs that were made by uh, women who, you looked at the designs and they looked very different than um, traditional designs of quilts. And I had by that time, I had had the opportunity to travel to West Africa, and I was especially interested in African visual images. Um, I was when I was a undergraduate, junior in college. I won a scholarship to travel for the summer and spent the summer in Nigeria, and traveled to different parts of Nigeria, living with family, and I started to see visual connections between designs and manipulation of fabric mm. in the quilt. Mm. So I decided that when I was in grad school one summer that I would go to South Carolina where um, the people there on the coast had been isolated from for a long period of time, um, 1800s, early 1900s, they're called uh, the Gullah people, mm. and they have a direct relationship with uh, Senegal and Gambia. And I was looking at thought that perhaps some of the designs from Senegal and Gambia might have been represented in the quilt, mm. because there are linguistic connections between the people mm. in the Senegambia area with the Wolof language mm. and the Gullah dialect spoken in by black people on the coast of South Carolina. Yeah. And so that's where these pictures came from. Yeah, so I had a whole, um, developed an entire collection of these quilts mm. in my slides mm. of about 40 or 50 mm. pictures. And, and do you think, you, should we go back just to the health clinic one for a minute? Do you think you became, um, more aware of what images worked at that time when you started to print them and see the responses to them? Or was it very much your driving yourself? Or did you look at what people said about the images that you'd made? Um, I mean, for me, they're just astonishingly developed mm -hmm. as images for somebody who's very young, who's working really hard, and they have this astonishing connection to people. And I just wondered how you developed that, really. 
Well, I was always a people person from a very early age mm -hmm. in my community. Um, mm -hmm. Active in the church, or churches, I belong to two churches actually. Mm -hmm. One, um, my parents were Episcopalian, but my friends uh, in, the, in my block were Baptist. And I liked to go with them so that I could sing in the gospel choir. Yeah. And when you went to the South, did you did you were you involved with the Church of the South, the AMCs and the Yes, the various yeah. churches because that's where um, the civil rights movement had a base in some of the churches, and uh, so we had a lot of mass meetings, um, voter registration drives, etc. In those churches, because remember, in the black community in many parts of the South, there weren't very many places where people could gather. But after the civil rights movement came, for example, some persons, uh, after they wanted to establish a co-op, people came together in the community and built a building. Built mm -hmm. a building. Mm -hmm. They built buildings for their Head Start program. Mm -hmm. And um, this picture here is uh, an example of um, some of the medical interns who came as volunteers from the North to work in a tough Delta health clinic for the mm -hmm. summer, and they also gave exams, uh, physical exams, to the children who were um, going to be able to start with the Head Start program, the preschool program. Mm -hmm. This is a new program starting in 1965. Mm -hmm. Now, I was recruited, again, as a teacher for the Head Start program, mm -hmm. and the head teacher and director of one of the centers. The grant from the government was for that summer, mm -hmm. and people came together, volunteered their services, as well as mm -hmm. they were trained to work as Head Start teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, in Mississippi and other states, uh, southern states, the teachers would be fired from their jobs. Teachers, in, you know, we had segregation. So black teachers on the black schools, whites in the white schools. But if you were a teacher and you in any way affiliated with the civil rights movement, you'd be fired. So many of the black teachers did not want to, were not going to, felt like they didn't want to get fired, so they weren't going to affiliate unless they did it undercover. Some just said, forget it, I'm going to work with the civil rights movement. But many people had to be recruited and trained by northerners who came to work in the Head Start program so that they would be able to have, um, you know, train people. So I was asked to, to work in that summer program. And uh, so I had a relationship, a direct relationship with many of these programs. Mm. And for instance, um, did you have relationships with the people coming to the clinic? So you would know some of the mothers or some of the parents who came to the clinic? Or, or it was very much a sort of passing trade and a very quick turnover? And, or But you developed relationships with the people that you were teaching lit literacy Well, I was, a, I was asked to teach in two centers. Mm. I was working in one center and then they asked me to go to another center mm. to train teachers. Mm. At first, I had my own center. Mm. I was over mm. a couple of other teachers. Mm. You were very young to be doing all of this. Well, by that time, you see, I'm 80 years old now. 
and I was born in 
And um, I saw a fuse. I was looking out the window and I saw a fuse on the ground. He was leading up into the church, which was the first Head Start program that they had. Um, the, the first part of the Head Start program is where they met in this church. And uh, someone was getting me to fireball it. But I saw that, and we stopped, and we stamped the, the fuse going into the church from the outside. Yeah, so it was very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. So, so especially in these communities where it was the majority of black population. Yeah. yeah. How are we doing on time? You want to, um, what was that? You want me to read? Five more minutes. Yeah, five more. Yeah. yeah. So one of the interesting things about Doris is that she has done so many things and so many wise that's and um, <laughs> yeah, she talked to me about her poetry and her painting, and I, as a preparation for tonight, I asked her if she would read two of her poems because I think um, it's very strange to me that you know there's in in the exhibition in Turner Contemporary there is only one black woman photographer and it's Doris, and I wondered if perhaps over a long period of time. Um, I think many women have very diverse ways of being creative, and Doris has very diverse ways of being creative. And I wanted to hear her read her poetry and to talk about it. So I thought we could maybe we can end with a couple of Doris reading her poems. Um, one thing that helped me get through some of the craziness uh, in uh, my work in Mississippi was um, being introspective and reflecting on uh, what <coughs> what was happening and also things that I um, have uh, experienced um, growing up in positive things. Uh, my relationship with nature, my father was an Indian farmer. We had, uh, you know, we grew up in the, on the outskirts of the city, uh, the Bronx in New York, my father's an urban farmer. We raised fruits and vegetables, chickens and ducks and apple trees and that kind of thing. So nature was always a place that I felt comfortable with. So, but I could see as a part of nature what was happening with man, different races and ethnicities and so on. So, so um, this book, I I took a lot of pictures of nature. So I I wanted to say, okay, well, let me put nature pictures and some people pictures together in a book. So, well, this one is just, it's the leaves and that kind of thing, but I, uh, this house had a backyard. When I got tired of certain things happening, I'd go out in the backyard in the morning and kind of look at nature and take pictures. And, and Oak and maple leaves clothed in yellow ochre, earth brown, clay red, and viridian green conduct a moving and harmonious symphony of color while mankind improvises a discordant, discordant operetta masked in black and white. This was um, a funeral when uh, two students at Jackson, uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, we should just talk about that as the last thing, because that's actually a really interesting way that you approach that. Well, uh, let me do yeah. another one. Let's, no, let's, let's have the poem, and then I'm going to ask you about it. Well, I want to do another one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Revelation, 
I looked through the windows of segregation through the bars, though the bars seem thick and strong. I can plainly see a world beyond with some who no longer agree with such wrongs. I know that mankind all over will cry out against such suffering. Such a world forever cannot be ignoring the black man and woman's dignity. Lament. This is uh, a group of uh, uh, a choir, a group of persons singing at the funeral of those two students that died in Jackson, uh, Jackson State. Uh, willows weep, evergreens sway, foliage swings slowly, hanging moss hangs lowly. Hanging moss is a tree in uh, Mississippi. And people pray, day is dark, night is, night is bleak, air is dull. No one can speak. A man has mysteriously gone away, and still people pray. For what? Goodness. So can I ask you? Yeah, amazing. Um, Thank you. So could I just, before we open it up, could I just ask you about the Jackson, um, the Jackson two killings of the students, and how you approached documenting that? Because you did document an event in that case, right? Yeah. Today a heavy green curtain fell upon a theater of life, and Mother Nature wept a million tears for mankind's self-destruction through strife. Uh, the two young men, one was a high school student who happened to be at the, in front of the uh, campus uh, dining hall, and another young man who was a college student who was on the ground talking to his sister in the girls' dormitory on the second floor. And the police, the students had been protesting about the war in Vietnam and also about um, segregation. And the police came through and they shot a round of 400 bullets in 30 seconds, and these students were killed. So um, I, that was in 1970, May of 1970, and uh, this May is when we uh, having a commemoration 50 years of this shooting, um, the death of these students, and injuring uh, of about 13 students got injured. So I was asked to um, put together a one-woman show of uh, photographs depicting the aftermath, which was uh, we had student hearings, uh, telling what happened. We had uh, congressmen, government officials coming to hear what happened, and we had the funeral, the parents, and the students that turned out, and then we had the, uh, the burial. So I had taken about 70 photographs, um, and so I, was, I put together a sequence story, pictorial story, of these uh, of what happened. So I have 60 photographs in that. And that exhibit is opening in, in uh, April at and Jackson State. And did you purposefully sort of go to different aspects of the event to photograph them, or how did you think about documenting it? Was it for a purpose, or was it for your own documentation? It was my own documentation. Yeah. So it was yeah. a, essentially a photo essay. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And. Um, my documentation is documentation 
to be available for people who want to know what happened and to say this happened.